All right. Okay, stop having fun and building healthy relationships. Good morning, everyone. I'm Mark Buckner. It's my wife, Susan, pastoring here and enjoying building relationships. Yesterday afternoon, we were over at Precious's house with a bunch of folks, and they taught us how to dance a little bit. Some, uh, uh, we dove into Nigeria for just a couple of hours. And, and loved it. And uh, so it's, there's so many things that, that God is doing among us that are beautiful. And the foundation of all that is like we were just confessing, God's Word. He's the one who sees us clearly. He's the one who sees everything around us clearly. And we, as we lean into him, as we understand who he is, then he, he fills us with discernment. He fills us with value and significance. So we are in the book of Romans, and I encourage you to uh, have out a paper or electronic copy of uh, Romans chapter 1 in front of you, because even though we're going to read this passage, we're not going to shoot every different thing that I quote up there today. And uh, you need to be going back to Scripture with everything that I say. But is, is, is that really what is going on in that passage? So you just keep going back to there. And I'm quoting from it. I'm teaching from it. But you go, where is that? There's several references. And this is, this is more of a um, uh, just purely teaching from the Word today. And I, I struggle at times because I, I think, oh, I need to be telling more stories, and I, I like telling stories. But it's, so it's, it's, in some sense, it's a teaching time, okay? I can preach. I, like, I could throw a fit up here and enjoy doing that. But um, we want God's Word to penetrate us deeply. And uh, uh, so... We're talking about the gospel, and the gospel is, uh, it's, it's not just a way to get people to pray to connect them with God. It is the framework of God's working in all of humanity. This is who he is and what he does. He is the savior. He is the redeemer. He is the restorer. And we are the broken. And uh, so, what do we do with all of that? So, number one, and this, this goes along with chapter one, and uh, is all of sin, and sin is really bad. Chapter one goes into, and today I'm going to go into it and say, this is bad stuff. And chapter two, following the rules does not make you right with God. You can't get a pattern of boxes to check so that you earn relationship. He freely gives relationship, and the only way you enter into that, moving to chapter 3, is by grace. It's, it is a gift, 
And it's a humble posture. It's you receive by receiving. You experience it by receiving, not by earning. And in chapter 4, this happens by faith. And the backdrop of that is the story of Abraham. So, I'm going to put the passage up here. And this is Romans 1, 18 through 24. And um, uh, why don't you stand with me and let's, let's just give it a shot. Maybe we can read this all together, okay? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they made fools and, then, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Amen. You can be seated. So, I'm going to... Um, before I get into my message, I'm going to talk about an attitude that I think is really important for us that I believe you understand. And, uh, and that this is in the backdrop of the Supreme Court's decision to honor biblical view of life. So we celebrate that. Amen? This is good news. Uh, but I am heartbroken about the process of us and them that emerges in this whole thing. The, the bitterness and anger, the war over all of this from uh, people that could be in your family uh, or it could be someone in this room. I, and as I, I describe that us and them thing and, and, uh, and relax, I'm not going too far in this. This is not the message today. And I'm, the reason I'm not is because I believe this type of conversation with the depth of that needs to happen in small groups and one-on-one. I don't have one-liners and rhetoric that I'm going to be throwing out to straighten everything out, okay? I'm, I'm saying we honor life and humility. And we are not kind of dancing a celebratory dance as winning an argument. We're brokenhearted over the state of man. And today, we're going to be talking about some, uh, some significant things. We're going to be talking about the wrath of God. And we're talking about how we are without excuse. And we're going to be answering this question, who are these terrible people? These, are, these people... They, what do they look like? They are, they suppress the truth with their wickedness. 
They know God, but do not glorify Him or thank Him. They claim to be wise, but they're fools. And they exchange the glory of God for idols. Okay, I'm, 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 uh, I'm not going to spend a long time breaking every bit of that, but I just want to emphasize this. Who are these terrible people? So there's a wrath that God has. It's a, it's a punishment. And it's because of these people that are like this. Okay? Why, is, why does God have wrath? Because they're people that suppress the truth by their wickedness. What does that look like? They silence the whistleblower of their conscience. There's something in them that's saying this is wrong, and they're saying, no. They suppress the truth. They, they fire the referee of their guilt. <laughs> the one who's coming and, and saying, you know, actually, there are some things that are wrong. And they deny that. Who are these people? They, they knew God. In a sense, it's like there was a moment in time. There was a place where they, they knew God or observed him from a distance. <laughs> but they did not give him value. They didn't recognize the one who is the center of all value, the one who gives value. And they were ungrateful. And they claimed to be wise. So they had a tremendous amount of arrogance in their intelligence. And they were able to explain it all away. They claimed to be wise. And they, these people exchanged the glory of God for idols. So they, they put what's something that they made with their own hands at the center. They, they actually began to worship themselves as creator instead of God. Now, there's a, a passage in Isaiah 44 that's interesting. He says of this man who created an idol and how he went about it. And basically, he started with the log and created a fire. He got, took a big piece of wood and started a fire. He burned half of it in the fire, and he roasts meat on that half. He eats the roast and is satisfied. Indeed, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his graven image. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, for you are my god. Now, we should think that's ridiculous, right? I got a log, put it in the fire, cook some food on it, and then afterwards I, I carved an image of some kind. And then I look at it, and I bow down to it and say, you are my God. We should, that's ridiculous. But if we, if we modernize that story, there are things that we make with our hands 
that become the center of our existence. These created things we value above God. So who are these people? Well, uh, the bad news is it's us. And this is, this is the message that Paul is, is bringing. As he turns into chapter 2, he, 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 he has this amazing argument. So all through chapter 1, we're going, yeah, those guys are bad, they're terrible, ooh. And then he flips it and says, who are you that you would judge? Because you've done the same things. So, now I'm going to move on to say, how could we possibly have no excuse? This passage says there's no excuse. I mean, we've got lots of excuses. We should all shout out our excuses right now. I, the dog ate my homework. My brother did it. I was born this way. I can't change. It's, yeah. I never heard this. I didn't know. Now, but it says we're without excuse. Now, of course, we need to have compassion and understand the struggle and the pain of the person next to us. So there are things that have happened that are horrible, that are damaging, that you could just think, you know, I could totally understand why Father God is confusing to you because you, had, you didn't have a really good chance at, at seeing that and figuring that out. But still, there's no excuse. Now, why? Why is there no excuse? Why would it be good news? Why would it be right for there to be no excuse? And so I'm going to say four things about why there's no excuse. And it comes first out of this passage. It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen. So what we have, just looking at our hand, is we say, how did this happen? Where did I come from? And the argument is, it was a series of accidents over a course of billions of years. Now, these are, these are very wise people, very intelligent people. But that doesn't make sense to me. This is, to tell me this was not intelligent design, I don't connect with that idea. I think that's amazing. Just one finger, let alone the emotions and the relationships and the complexity of all creation. So why are we without excuse? Because we look around us 
And we're, you know, this is a little difficult. We live in a built environment. But I just encourage you, get out into the woods. Get out somewhere where there's a big sky, where you can actually see the Milky Way at night. And you just step back and say, this came from some being that's so far beyond me and everything I've ever imagined. Who is this God? C.S. Lewis uses a phrase in his, his writings, a British man that, of uh, the 1900s, and he, he uses the phrase shadowlands. So we're living in the shadowlands. And what he means is, this is a cheap reflection of reality. Every beautiful child, every amazing sunset, every Grand Canyon, every mountain is, is like looking through a mirror darkly at what the original source is. And if that's amazing, he is beyond description. So, we're without excuse. He, by placing us here, by giving you consciousness, has opened up a door that points to Him. Why are we without excuse? Because He's revealed Himself in His Word. There's this amazing thing that's happened where... We look back over 4,000 years and we see 66 books and all these different writers and they're each getting a revelation, many of them in profound ways with, uh, and I'll, I'll get into that in a moment, the, the supernatural ways that God reveals himself. But they're getting bits and pieces of understanding of the character of God that they write down that has brought a revelation of his character in a fullness that makes us without excuse. Why are we without excuse? Because God reveals himself with visions and dreams. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had these supernatural experiences now, they weren't just gold tablets coming down and falling. <laughs> they were things that lined up with his character. Ten Commandments line up with the character of God. It's not punishment. It's not the rules that you can't break. It's, it's about how to love him and love people. Like, and so I... I I think about that. It's like Ten Commandments, bad. I, but I want to murder people. Can't do that. No, please, please let me murder someone. No, you are so mean for not letting me lie and murder and commit adultery. You don't like me. We're, we're supposed to go, 
This is love. This is his character that's revealed. It's not punishment. We're without excuse. Mary and Joseph, angels, all, dreams that have come. You know what? I, this, this is a part of, of my story. And uh, Susan and I lived for 10 years in Indonesia, a majority Muslim country, largest Muslim country in the world. And while we were over there, we came into this phenomena that we began to learn uh, is that God was sending people dreams about Jesus. And this is documented in Muslim cultures around the world. And I believe the reason why he did it is because people started praying. Reveal yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself. Break through the walls that are beyond anything that, that, that man has. Get into their world, Lord. How can you do this? And uh, so the dreams go something like this. You know, I, 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 there I was, and all of a sudden this bright being came with a radiant face, and he said, I am the way. Or seek the truth. These statements would happen. And people would run into, and what that person would go, I've never heard of this before. I need to find someone that could answer this question. And so they began trying to figure out who that might be. And they wanted to look for someone that looked like a follower of Jesus. So this is a side note. If people don't know you're a Christian and they have a dream, they'll never know who to talk to. You need to kind of be obvious if you want to help the map in people's lives of getting them from the revelation to the reality of relationship with God. So in Indonesia, we, we looked at that and we said, huh, that's interesting. Uh, and a few of my friends and I, uh, we are a little geeky about this stuff. So we said, let's do a test. Let's see how many people we can find that have had this dream. And over the course of a, a bunch of us through hundreds of conversations, we discovered in our situation, one out of 20 people had had a dream of Jesus. And so our witnessing, part of our, our toolkit for witnessing was saying, have you ever had a dream? And we began finding people that said, yes. You know, tell me about that. Well, it's a shiny face, and, you know, I just felt good, and, but I didn't understand it. And we say, let me tell you who that is. We're without excuse. And finally, <laughs> why are we without excuse? Because the Father sent Jesus. He has revealed himself. He's looking for you. He's looking for us. And he's, he's doing everything he can to open up doors and communicate his life. And so when I was growing up, back before they invented the wheel, 
this phrase, you know, and our people would argue and say, what, but what about the farmer in China? You know, I, why, I don't know, but farmers in China seem to be way, way out there. You know, what, what if no one ever shares, what if they never hear the name of Jesus, what's going to happen? And they're saying a healthy thing in one sense. So we go to Romans chapter 10, and it says something interesting. It says, what does it say? Here we go. Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So let me, let me explain a crazy, powerful tension of truth. They are without excuse, and you have to tell. They are without excuse. That person that never heard God sent in dreams. He's opening up their eyes to creation around them. He's, he's putting people in their neighborhood. He's revealing himself. And you've got to tell them. You have to speak of the life of Jesus in you to other people. They seem to contradict, don't they? How are they going to hear unless someone goes? God is revealing himself. Well, if God's revealing himself, then just go ahead and do your thing. You've got to go and share. This is the same book of the Bible, the same author. It's not two random various... He's saying the fullness of this gospel message. Okay, now I get down to this light topic. What is the wrath of God? In multiple things that I'm saying today... I, I, uh, I fear the Lord. It's like, wow, I don't know that I can fully do justice to the breadth and depth of all that's going on here. This is heavy stuff. This is profound. Paul's letter gives answer to so many questions. There's an, an amazing flow of every argument that happens that he addresses in here. But what is the wrath of God? It's the, uh, it's the punishment for the ultimate idolatry of us being our own little gods. So, this idea of creating something, carving out something and bowing down to it, or putting so much value in something or a thing in any way is ultimately you saying, no, I'm, I'm God. I am the center of all existence. And I'm just so grateful that you're not the center of all existence. Let me say that right now. I am grateful that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the center of everything. But first I want to, so I'm going to answer this question. Why 
Is God sending his wrath? I thought he was loving. I thought we were on the good team. So, the simple answer is it's because he is just. That to never punish evil is the worst injustice. This is what's emerging in our culture right now. Why isn't there justice? Why isn't there justice? Why isn't there justice? And our Father in heaven is saying, because I am patient. Second Peter, he's not slow in keeping his promises, as some have counted slowness to be. But he is giving room for repentance. He's giving room for us to say, I was wrong. Maybe in our own culture. Why isn't there justice? Because he's giving us room to say, I'm wrong. And it not be contrived, not be manipulated, not be controlled. So, What is this wrath? You know, yes, there's a book of Revelation, chapter 16, these bowls of wrath that include disease and pain and suffering and the, the day of the Lord and fire. But in this specific passage, he says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So, I'm going to back into this by defining a couple of things. God, God's wrath ended in our bodies being degraded. God's wrath ended in allowing your actions to have the full outworking to where your body is now a thing. It's an object. It's, it's not valued as a part of your whole being. It's just a thing to use and to be used. And this is not God doing this. This is allowing him, once a person has chosen again and again, instead of responding to the revelation of his character and leaning toward him, they keep turning back to their idols. And it actually creates a distortion of their sexuality and a degrading of their bodies. I know I'm dancing around massive, massive topics here, okay? I'm not going there. That's not my point. Because even in every one of these conversations, God has mercy on us. We are broken. We have degraded our bodies. You've done stuff. You've allowed yourself to be an object at times. But you're, you're precious. You're amazing. 
You have phenomenal value. We value every life. But when that value of life is drawn away, you become an object, a thing to be used and thrown away. And Paul is saying, this is an expression of the wrath of God. All of this brokenness, all of this distortion around us. We don't just say, yeah, you're getting yours. Yeah, that's the wrath of God. It should be melting us to see this worked out. Should, with tears, we're going, oh God, hold back your wrath. Save them. Let the, not the impact of their destruction have its full effect. Be patient, Lord. Be kind. You've been kind to me. Help, Lord Jesus. It's not, yeah, we got it and they don't. Judge them. No. Have mercy, Lord. As you see the wrath of God having its effect Weep and be a messenger of the gospel. You can be free. You can be set free from sin. You can be forgiven. There is a grace that you can't earn. Receive it by faith. So what do we do? We don't build the us and them environment, okay? I, I implore you, do not get into social media and push a message out to people that starts fights. That's not humility. Don't argue with people. And, and uh, I, uh, other people... In my life, will say, did you see that? And I think, oh, please, have mercy. And I say, this is just an opportunity to pray, okay? When someone's bringing out an extreme statement of brokenness or something that hurts your heart, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. And we have these conversations. We can have these conversations one-on-one. -on -one. I can have a conversation in a small group. I did this early on this morning in prayer. It's like, I, I can tell you exactly what I think about different issues. But I'm not going to use this place to just throw one-liners out that makes people feel unknown, unseen. I want people to be drawn to Jesus. So what do we do? Okay. This is, this is us. Not us and them. This is this is us. What do we do? If you find yourself suppressing the truth with lies, if you find yourself not being thankful, if you find yourself not captured with the glory of God, but attached to things. If you find yourself 
really content with your intelligence and your wisdom. If you find yourself thinking you have all the answers, stop making excuses. You have no excuse. And let that, Lord, give us the weight of the presence of God that draws us to our knees instead of arching our backs and pointing fingers. So as the worship team comes up here, I, I want to encourage you right now, if, if you have a burden, <laughs> if anything that I've said is causing something heavy in you today, you can come down to the front or you can bow where you are. And I, I want us to be strong in this humility that breaks the lies that, that we suppress the truth with and get out of that unthankfulness and get out of that worshiping of things and just get on your knees again and say, have mercy, Lord. You are God. If you've never done that from the first time, for the first time, if this is new information for you, then I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Just find me up here, and we'll talk, and I'm going to explain the gospel. That this loving God has revealed himself, and he's provided a way for you to be forgiven, to have a relationship with him, and to be set free from all that garbage. Not that you never have any other problems, but that you have been opened up to the source of life. Let's stand together. And I, I, I think, yeah, go ahead and stand up as we worship. And I'm just encouraging you to take this moment, this next song, to, to respond to that. All right. Whatever is in your heart, that you, you wouldn't just stand and listen, but give yourself even physically. Speak out to Him. Get connect with Him.